The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to um, the book of Acts in the New Testament. And uh, I hope that you were able to uh, pick up the uh, little study guide for the uh, book of Acts out there in the lobby if you weren't able to get it on your way in, on your way out today, it's out there. But um, this will help you. It's a little kind of Acts at a glance. And uh, I, I always want to be careful in my preaching. Uh, so uh, this uh, there was... Originally, there wasn't enough room down here for me to put the uh, footnote, but uh, this is a compiled uh, a compilation of, of my own material, and uh, those uh, worked on through my study, and some other good folks as well too, but this will kind of help you. What we're going to do is next Sunday is our homecoming, and we will begin uh, marching our way through the book of Acts next Sunday, Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 8 next Sunday. Obviously, being 28 chapters, there's no way that we can... Well, I mean, there is a way, but half of you wouldn't be here if I spent, uh, you know, 28 weeks going through the book of Acts. We will take uh, major sections and uh, work our way through so that we understand what the major points are. Uh, today, I want to uh, draw your attention to a, uh, just some disparate texts here and there in the book to talk to you about what it's about. But uh, let me walk you through this Acts at a glance just for a moment so you can see there... There are some key people as you're reading. I would encourage you during this time to read through the book of Acts if you're not currently reading somewhere else in the Scripture. And so you'll find that Peter and Paul, Stephen and Barnabas are the major characters. Of course, Peter is a blunt, impetuous uh, man. He's uh, the leader of Jesus' disciples. He preaches the first evangelistic sermon in Acts 2 to the Gentiles in Acts 10. He is a leading figure. In fact, if you wanted to break the book of Acts into just a, like maybe a simple portion, you could break it one chapters 1 through 11. The main character is Peter, chapters 12 through 28. And the main character is the apostle Paul. And of course, you'll see that in the second one. He's zealous and uh, antagonistic Saul to begin with. He has his name changed as his body and life is transformed into a Christian. You have uh, Stephen, who is a bold leader. He's the first martyr of the early church in Acts chapter 7. And then you have this beautiful man. His name is Barnabas, the Gentile, gentle and strong man, and played a vital role in helping Paul find his place in the early Christian community. He was an encourager and uh, loved God's people, uh, didn't like conflict, wanted to resolve that. And so, a uh, good man. You'll find these are the key people uh, throughout the book of Acts. And then the key events, uh, Acts 2, is the Holy Spirit comes down and God's people are baptized on the day of Pentecost. Find Acts 2 and 3 that uh, Peter preaches and first evangelistic sermon is recorded. Acts chapter number 9, Paul is converted. Acts 10 and 11, you find that the gospel transfers to the Gentile world and they are one to Christ. And uh, chapters 10 through 13, uh, the Gentile mission. Acts 15 is the first council. That's the leaders discuss how to include the Gentiles and all that is going on. And when we get there, we'll look at that. It's a beautiful way to resolve conflict for us to understand in church life that it's not just a you know biblical church 
is not everybody gets a say. That's, that's just not the way it is. Uh, you have a congregation, but that congregation is led by elders who give their life uh, to the study of the Word of God and prayer to the Holy Spirit, and they're able to uh, resolve those doctrinal situations there. And then, of course, um, Acts 20, Paul's arrested and uh, detained there in Rome and uh, moves on from there. Some key themes. We'll come back to these in a few minutes. Key themes. Luke shows how Jewish and Gentile Christians with their major differences learned how to have fellowship together. And that is a lesson that is still relevant for life in the church. And if you find any church in the world, I, I told people one time, if you ever find a perfect church, for heaven's sakes, do not join it because you will mess it up. All right? Um, I've never been a part of a perfect church, never been a part of a church where every single person saw it, uh, every other person's view is the exact right view. In fact, I was listening this morning on the way into a radio program, and uh, I think it was Billy Graham's wife that said, if, uh, if uh, two people in a marriage, some of y'all heard that too, if two people never have a, a contrary opinion, then one of them is useless or not necessary, right? And uh, so it's a part of the, the marriage. But uh, no matter what, we want to understand that by Christ and His crucifixion, His work on the cross and His resurrection, that we can have unity within our church even in the midst of diversity. Number two here, a dominant theme in Acts is that of the Christian witness to Jesus and His triumph over all opposition. And uh, so we want to make sure that we highlight that as we go. Then you'll notice that I put in red, we'll come back to this, the title for the series here that we start next week will be Good News to the Ends of the Earth. Good News to the Ends of the Earth. That's in a nutshell what the book of Acts is about. Jesus says, here's my message, here's what I'm talking about, and I want you to take that to Jerusalem, Judea, uh, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, or in that day he's talking about uh, Rome. And so you'll find that between Acts 1 and Acts 28, the gospel goes to the ends of the earth, or the known earth at that time. And the message for us is to take the good news to the ends of the earth. We want to do that, all right? And then some literary devices that you need to be aware of. We'll come back to this. Uh, so an inclusio or bookends, it simply is. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 3 speaks about the kingdom of God. Acts 28 and verse 31 speaks about the kingdom of God. You'll notice that there is a portion of the book of Acts that has a, a lot of restatement in it. And that is that Luke often retells a story in a later speech to underscore and to interpret a key episode. For example, Paul's conversion is twice retold, once in his defense before the mob in Jerusalem and again before Agrippa. Peter also restates the story of the conversion of Cornelius before the apostles in Jerusalem, that's in Acts 11, and makes some allusion to the same thing at the Jerusalem council in Acts 15. And other examples include the decision of James at the uh, Jerusalem council and the uh, summaries of Festus concerning his first contact with the apostle Paul, Acts 25, and, uh, and following. And so what we understand here about restatement is this is a, a this is a tool that happens in the book of Genesis as well too. You'll find that there are stories retold, 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 and the reason why is to create an emphasis around it, alright? And so we want to draw our attention to those things as well. Then lastly here, I want you to really draw your attention to the portion that's in red for number three as we kind of just walk down through this review, and that is that there are summary statements. There are six summary statements 
in the book of Acts. And this is how we are going to really kind of wrap our sermon series around. I'm going to take these six summary statements and preach lessons in between there. So take your Bible, if you would, and look at Acts chapter, um, well, Acts chapter 6 and verse number 7. Acts, I love to hear pages turn or finger swiping, whatever it is that you do. Acts 6 and verse number 7. So the Word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Turn over to Acts chapter number 9, verse number 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit until it continued to increase. Look at Acts chapter 12 and verse number 24. Luke says in Acts 12.24, but the word of the Lord, does that seem familiar now? But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Acts 16 and verse number 5. I know you're turning a lot today, but I just want you to get the gist of these summary statements. You see large portions of Scripture between them, but in Acts 16 and verse number 5, so the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. And I'll just do... uh, Well, you know what? We can just do those last two. Chapter 19, verse number 20. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. And then turn over to the last chapter of the book, chapter 28, verse 30 and 31. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and it was unhindered, all right? And so you want to see here that there are these summary statements that Luke makes around the book of Acts. If you were to turn your sheet over, I won't walk down through all of this, but here if you're looking to read through the book of Acts, this is a great little outline uh, to the early church, chapter 1 through 7. Uh, the church is persecuted and spread, chapter 8 through 12, and the adventures of the Apostle Paul. You like that? The adventures, right? Uh, chapter 12 through chapter number uh, 28. All right. So let's go back to Acts chapter number 1, and uh, I don't want to take a, a great deal of portion because next week we'll deal with the first eight verses, really verse five through eight. But I just want to uh, draw your attention to a few things here as you're studying it. So notice in the first uh, three verses, he says this, the first account I composed, uh, Theophilus or O Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And he gathered them together and began to teach them. And so uh, here's, a, here's just a few things if you're studying uh, to think about. 
So when he says here, O Theophilus, if you were to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 1, you would find that Luke and Acts are kind of one big volume, just two separate chapters, okay? So in the Gospel of Luke, Luke begins to write to the same guy, or it's either an individual or it's a terminology for the church, but to you, O Theophilus, I'm going to write to you the things that Jesus began, that's the main thing, began to do and to teach and to say, all right? And so when you read the Gospel of Luke, you're reading about the teachings and the sayings and the doings of Jesus Christ. And then when you get to the book of Acts, it's as if he now closes the second volume and he says, here are the rest of the things that Jesus did through His people, the church. But what I want you to be careful about here is you'll read a number of books or uh, some of you that like to read commentaries or whatever you might find online, you'll find people that try to lump Luke-Acts together. Because it's one book, they say you ought to study Luke and Acts together. Now I want to just submit to you that's probably not the best way to do that. Okay? And the reason why is because there just happens to be a book that comes before Luke and Acts. Does anybody know what that is? Right. Now, all the way since Luke was written and since Acts was written, all the way back since the early church, they all knew that Luke wrote both Luke and he wrote uh, Acts. And they chose intentionally to separate those two volumes by the Gospel of John. And so I want to encourage you to ask yourself these questions when you begin to study. Why, if these two books go together... Why did the early writers decide to put John before Acts instead of Luke before Acts? Well, I would submit to you maybe a couple of reasons. I think one is if you read the end of John, you will find that it is already the work of the Holy Spirit that is coming upon the apostles of the church who are then going to do the acts of the apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it is the end of John that is creating the atmosphere and the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish all that takes place in the book of Acts. I also would simply say this, if you're reading Matthew and Mark and Luke, you would also come to the understanding that these beginning apostles and these beginning disciples, they were weak, they were scared. If you read the end of Luke, you will find that they are a band of brothers who are fearful about the future. They're not sure about this guy named Jesus. Is he the Messiah? Is he not the Messiah? And then you read this entire book of the Gospel of John that looks nothing like the other Gospels. And the entire point of the Gospel of John is to say, Jesus is God. Amen? He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And in fact, if you're to read the Gospel of John and you're looking for an outline, there are seven major miracles that outline the entire Gospel of John. And every one of them, I used to have a Greek teacher when I was in college, and he'd say every one of those signs is a neon sign flashing toward Jesus saying, He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Believe on Him and you'll do all of the mighty works that come in the book of Acts. And so I would say to us, as we prepare to study the book of uh, Acts, and we see all that the Holy Spirit does, and all that He can accomplish through His people and through His church, all of that rides upon and is contingent upon the back that we believe that Jesus Christ is God, very 
God. Amen? He was not just a good man. He was not just a good teacher. He was not just intellectual. He was not just all of those other things. He is God. And when He gives the church a mission to accomplish with the power of the Holy Spirit, we walk forward into a dark and a dank world and we spread the light of Jesus and He is the one that changes the hearts and lives of men and women and boys and girls all around the world. Why does the Gospel of John come between Luke and Acts? To give a resolute heart to discouraged believers who say, man, my Lord is about to go to heaven. What am I going to do? He's God. And I'm going to go tell the world that. That's why we want to put John before Acts. And so I want you to kind of just have that in your mind. Now, let me make just uh, draw a few conclusions for you today by way of uh, introduction for us. A little bit of us working together. Uh, somebody want to take a stab today. If you had to say, uh, if you had to say, I think Jesus spoke on this subject more than any other subject in his whole life. What do you think Jesus spoke more about than anything else? Anybody want to take a stab at it? My wife is not allowed to answer. Anybody else take a stab at it? Okay, somebody just uh, hear hell? Did somebody say hell? I will say this. Jesus spoke more on the punishment of hell than He did on heaven, at least twice as much more on hell than He did heaven. He said, why is that? Because He didn't want people to go there. Amen? Right? He wanted to keep them out of that place by an usher him into heaven through faith in Christ. But Jesus spoke on another subject more than He spoke on Hell. Somebody else today want to take a stab at it? Love. All we need is love, sweet love. Yes, Jesus did speak on love. John 3.16, right? For uh, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life, right? Jesus spoke on love. And in fact, that was the very nature. And even John, who writes the Gospel of John, would go on in 1 John to say, He is love, right? He's the very essence and the very nature of love. There is a subject that Jesus spoke more about than love and hell. Who else? Somebody else want to take a stab at it today? I'm... Money and finances. Now listen, if Dave Ramsey was preaching for us this morning, he'd say, Amen, that's the answer. But Jesus did speak about money and finances. In fact, He spoke about that a lot. And I know as Baptists, we get kind of shy away from that, especially preachers. But Jesus had a lot to say about money. Jesus had a lot to say about stewardship, right? But there is a subject that Jesus spoke about even more than money. Yes, ma'am. Well, now that's not fair. Come on. Yes, yes, salvation. I mean, that's a catch-all. That's perfect. Yes, I, I would say Jesus spoke about salvation uh, an incredible amount. In fact, I mean, isn't that what He says? We must go to this other village so I can preach the Gospel there. And He would talk to people about salvation and the woman at the well and Lazarus. I mean, just on and on and on. But sister, there is a subject, subject that Jesus spoke about more than salvation. Somebody else want to take a stab at it? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. No, that's not what Jesus spoke the most on. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, hey, listen, I, I, I partly was thinking about that and I partly had Don Henley going on in my mind. So, well, y'all never listen to that? Okay, anyway. Man. Yes, Jesus spoke about forgiveness a lot. In fact, when Jesus is on the cross 
And y'all stay with me today. This is a little bit different kind of sermon, right? It's an introductory sermon, right? When Jesus is on the cross, Father, forgive them. Oh, how could you say that, Jesus? We just beat you and plucked out your beard and ripped your back open and spit on you. Father, forgive them for the... Oh man, doesn't that touch your heart? How dare I not be a forgiving believer? Why, why, why would I ever have snapping and bitterness and anger and frustration? Why would that come to the heart so quickly when my Lord would say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Although He spoke on forgiveness a lot, there's another subject that He spoke about more than forgiveness. I'll take one or two more. Uh, yes, sir. Ah, Somebody's been reading this. Alright, yes, Jesus spoke more about the kingdom of God than any other subject in the New Testament. Verse for verse, Jesus spoke more about the kingdom of God than He did any other subject. Now you say, in, in some ways, that's quite not fair for me to tell you because a lot of what you have said here is wrapped up in the kingdom of God. Right? Salvation, dear sister, is a huge part of the kingdom of God. Forgiveness is a huge part of the kingdom of God. Stewardship and the way that we handle the things that God has given us, our own sanctification and the growth of our life is wrapped up into the kingdom of God. But don't make this mistake. And what we, this exercise we just did here, it's healthy for all of us, all right? And I was in your position years ago until somebody showed me that. But I want you to, I want you to walk away from here today saying, man, I learned something, right? Because if you want to be a follower of Jesus, see, if you want to follow Jesus, then you want to, you want to be a master, you want to learn, you want to study probably what Jesus spoke more about than anything else in the world. Isn't that right? Right? If you're following somebody, you want to know more about what they said about a particular subject than anything else. And when Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God, He spoke about that more than anything else. And you say, what is the kingdom of God? Here's maybe two small, uh, broad application or broad definitions that will help you. The kingdom of God is God in action with humanity. God in action with with humanity. Or you can simply say it this way. The kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will, where what God wants done is done. For instance, in heaven, everything is under the kingdom of God, and it does exactly what God wants it to do. Isn't that right? Now, all of the angels, everybody does everything that God wants them to do in heaven. And so when Jesus taught His disciples to pray, what did He teach? He taught about the kingdom of God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. What's the next phrase? Thy kingdom. Not thy salvation, not thy forgiveness, not thy sanctification. Thy kingdom, your rule, the effective range of, where, of your rule where what you want done is done. Your will, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, on earth, God's kingdom is not expansive yet. At least in the hearts of human beings. Have you ever thought about this? The only place in the entire universe where God's sovereign will 
can in a limited sense, parsing and being careful in my words, be thwarted is in the human heart. All of the oceans do exactly what God wants to do. The waves come in and they go back out just like He wants. All of the wind blows, all of the trees, all of the stars. Everything does exactly what He wants it to do. But God created human beings who could spit in the face of Jesus and reject Him. Now, if we had time to sit down, and we did last Sunday after the service, we could talk for a long time about God's sovereignty and how He controls even that and human responsibility. But I want you to walk away here today understanding that what is very important to Christ Jesus is the kingdom of God. The rule and the effective range of God's rule in the world and in your heart where what He wants done is done and you follow Him every day of your life. That was important to Jesus. Now let me show you something. Look in Acts chapter number 1. after you finish the four Gospels and you begin to read the rest of the New Testament, you will find that that subject is not dropped off. It is simply picked up and highlighted for the New Testament church. Look at verse number uh, 3. To these He also presented Himself alive after His suffering. The word alive means alive after death. It means resurrection. After His sufferings, that is including not just the pain on the cross, but the physical death. He presented Himself, or that means that He showed, He made Himself alive after His death by many convincing proofs. That is, that it was settled, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning what? The kingdom of God. Now church... We're going to walk all the way through the book of Acts. Turn to the book of Acts chapter number 28. You get to the very end of chapter 28. The Apostle Paul and the rest of the church have taken the Gospel and the Kingdom of God to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now they are at the uttermost parts of the earth, which is Rome at the time. And what does the Apostle Paul end the book about the church on? Look at verse number 30. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching what? The kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Well, in the future I'll show you. If you really want to know more about the kingdom of God, that's an explanation in verse number 31. He was teacher preaching about the kingdom of God and teaching about who? Jesus. Entrance into the kingdom of God comes through Jesus Christ. Life in the kingdom of God comes through Jesus Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, you say, why would we, why would we embark on the book of Acts? Because I want all of our church here, I want us as a manual, to be focused upon the things that Jesus was focused, focused upon. The kingdom of God. 
That is God in action. Bringing God into the world of humanity. Bringing Him breaking into uh, hard hearts and bringing salvation. Going into our world and spreading the Gospel, the good news that Christ has come where His effective will is accomplished in your heart and in my heart. Are there any areas of your heart and life today where Jesus Christ is not the ruler of? Is there anything going on in your life and your mind right now where Jesus Christ doesn't sit on the throne of your thoughts, of your emotions, of your past, of your present, of your intentions, of your work, of your relations? Is there anywhere in your life where Jesus Christ is not on the throne. I want to say to you today, if there is a place like that, in just a couple of minutes, we'll stand together, we'll sing. You can come down here and pray at these altars. You can pray at your seat. Don't leave here today without Christ Jesus being the King of your life. There are some of you in here today and you're lost. You've never trusted Jesus as the Lord and Savior and King of your life. I want to encourage you to go to Him. And there are many more of you in here today who you say, I'm a Christian, but Christ is not the King of my life. I want to encourage you to come and pray and say, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when I say earth, I primarily mean Lord me. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I want the rest of the world to get right with Jesus, but I need to be right with Jesus. You need to be right with Jesus. Our church needs to be right with Jesus. Amen? Let me make a couple of, uh, couple of points here. We want to enter into a series like this because we want to talk about the kingdom of God. It's clearly evident in our belief, in our body here. It's okay, right? We just learn together. You're not alone. I'm not alone. You're not a failure. I'm not a failure. I mean, for all my A-type personalities, if you get an answer wrong on a quiz, it doesn't mean your value as a human is messed up, okay? But we all got it wrong. We have all kinds of ideas of what's most important to Jesus. But you read through the Gospels and underline or circle how many times Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God and you'll come away with that truth. I must know what this kingdom of God is about. That's one reason why we're going to study the book of Acts. A second reason why we're going to study the book of Acts is verse number 8 of this chapter. And I won't deal much with it next or now, but I will uh, next week. Look at Acts 1 and verse number 8 quickly. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Hey, guys and gals, can I just talk to you as your shepherd and pastor? Now look, I'm aware that this is Labor Day Sunday. I understand that. But I, I, you go home and burn up the phone lines and call all your friends here in the church. I just want you to understand, Emmanuel's not all that in a bag of chips. I get a sense sometimes of lethargy, and I get a sense sometimes in our people that because we have a building that looks like this, that we can just sit back and watch it happen. And we can critique what we like, or critique what we don't like, 
praise what we do, and watch ministry happen. And if we feel like jumping in somewhere, we will. But if it doesn't really fit my cup of tea, I'll just watch it and come and stand in a distance. And what I want you to understand is I want you to walk away either right with God or angry at Jesus from this series. The issue isn't about us being comfortable. There is one primary goal, and that is to take the good news of the kingdom of God, the salvation and the life transformation that's in Jesus, and to go out there into a lost and dying world and tell every single person that we can possibly tell. Let me put it, uh, let me put it a little bit more bluntly. If we are not sharing the gospel with lost people, we're not right with God. That goes for me too. We can, we can talk about a thousand and one ways to do that. we got plans. We can train. We can meet. We can do whatever you want. But it all begins in your heart and my heart, right? There has to be an impetus somewhere whereby you stop thinking that everything's okay. It's not. And if you want to live, if you want to, if you want to live and breathe and grow and move, and you want this church to be here a hundred years from now, then what you got to do is stop and repent of all the baggage and say, you know what? I'm pretty sure that the most important thing for Jesus is that I love the people that I'm with and I wake up every day with one purpose in life and that is to give the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God to lost people everywhere, here and far. And if we're not doing that, we're not a church. Okay? So I either want you to walk away angry or I want you to walk away hopefully with a humble heart that says... I've got to figure out a way to make that a central theme of my life. I'm going to get some help on that. A third reason for studying the book of Acts, and we'll close here today, is that I want to help us understand the nature and the structure of a New Testament church. The nature and the structure of a New Testament church. We'll deal with some of that when we get to Acts 2, verse 42 through 47. We'll deal with some of that when we get to Acts chapter number 6, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter number 15, Acts chapter number 28. We're going to deal with the structure and the nature of the church. Brothers and sisters, New Testament church is a simple church. We come together and we do these kinds of things. We study the Word, we preach the Word, the Gospel, the Word of God, we learn the Word of God, we sing together, we give together, we fellowship together, we take the Lord's Supper together, and we agree together to go out in the world and the whole week spend everything we can to try and tell people about Jesus and bring them back that they might hear the good, refreshing news of the Kingdom of God. That is church in its most simplest form. And in the years to come, this church needs to move in the kind of direction in which we are willing to cut things off that don't get at the vision and the heart of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're unwilling to do that, you're unwilling to do church the way that God wants it done in the New Testament. We'll look at the way that the church is structured. Brothers and sisters, I'll go ahead and give you a pre-disappointment. Sometimes I give you a pre-application Pre-disappointment, I want you to understand that the New Testament church does not operate the way that your election cycle does in the United States of America.
the church and your political system are not synonymous. We have a congregation in the New Testament that should be honored and revered and loved and served. We have a group of deacons who are to minister and be servants and love and and tenderly take care of people. And you have elders who set the spiritual direction and tone of your church and lead and guide the church. And those elected elders understand that they have been elected by the body of Christ and that keeps them oh so humble. And the body of Christ realizes we are to elect leaders that we are willing to humbly submit to what they say. Why? Because Hebrews 13, 17 says, they have to give an account for us. Therefore, I'll willingly be obedient and submissive to what they say. Now, isn't that a great reason to study the book of Acts? So we either walk out of here angry, steam coming out, or maybe we walk down this way with steam in here. Says, hey Lord, let's get it right. I don't have the corner on the market on knowledge and neither do you, but that book does. Amen? I'm going to do my dead level best to open it up for you and show you what it says. And we'll do church together. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Hey, in just a minute, we're going to play some music. We'll stand and sing. I mean, what I said, hey, if you're here today, the musicians are coming right now. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and He's pricking at your heart right now. In childlike faith, you go to Him. Throw yourself on His mercy. It's not, it's not a matter of whether you want to take Him. It's a matter of whether He'll take you or not. And He doesn't owe you a thing. Humbly go to Him and say, Lord, please save me. Maybe you're here today and you're a brother or sister in Christ. I just want to encourage you. Read along in this book with us. Study. Pray. And focus your life on sharing the Gospel with unbelievers. Being dogged, passionate about that. About coming to a church. It's not about me and not about you, but about some simple, basic issues of worship. And coming into a church where we're willing to humbly say, I'll serve and I'll submit and I'll obey. Because in as much as I do that, I am following the Lord Jesus. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.